I don't know how you feel, but I've never had such a colorful background in all my life. When we first came to visit this place, I said, I wonder if I stand up here, will it look like I have a halo around my head? You know, maybe they would add to my messages or something like that. So, but anyway, this is a wonderful, wonderful facility, and we're so thankful for it, and it's all of God's uh, provision for us. When I was going through uh, my basic military training, one of the favorite exercises of our instructors was to stress us out. I mean, they must have stayed up all night trying to figure out ways to make us sweat and make us feel vulnerable, and make us feel this small. And so I remember one particular uh, training exercise that they had was that um, we had to crawl with our rifles in our arms. We had to crawl about 46 meters, which is about roughly uh, 100 yards. And so we had to crawl on this thing. And you might say to yourself, no big deal, no big deal, except... Except over our heads was barbed wire. It was barbed wire. So we had to crawl under the barbed wire. And then about 25 meters in, they began to introduce something that we had never expected. They started tear gassing us. And so they started, you know, using machines and throwing tear gas at us. And the stress was that we had to turn over on our backs take out our gas masks, put them on our face, calmly turn back over on our stomachs, and continue on for the next 25 meters or so to finish this exercise. But I probably forgot to tell you that all of this happened while they had started live machine gun fire over our heads. And to make things worse, they started setting off explosions all around us. Now, you talk about stress. I was stressed. I'm a city boy. I'm not used to being shot at. I'm not used to being gassed. I'm not used to having explosions go on all around us. But that's exactly what was happening to us. And the goal was to train us to adjust, to stay calm, to stay focused on the goal, which is what? To get through the course and be ready to engage the enemy on the other side of the barbed wire. You know why? Because stress has a way of distracting and keeping us from completing the mission. Would you agree? That's true. That's true for probably most of us here in this building. We don't react very well to stress. In probably the same way, the stress that we have been undergoing the last few weeks with the rebuilding, the relocation, and all of that has probably distracted us a bit from what is our mission here at GBC. And we must not let that happen. We must keep ourselves focused. The vision, the mission of this church is to be a disciple-making church that seeks to transform lives with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's going to take all of our attention. That's going to take all of our efforts to complete that task. But we have to do it no matter how stressful that it gets. Now, to help us better understand what it means, what this all means and involves, I want you to turn with me to... Colossians chapter 1, verses 28, on through chapter 2, verse 3. So get out your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, verses 2 to 3. 
Now, I must apologize to those of you who are depending on the Internet because we don't have the password to unlock the Internet here. And so you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way, all right? So you're either going to have to bring your Bibles for a little while until we figure it out, or you can look at the verses that are on the screen for you. Now, to make sense of all this, you have to know a little bit about the background of the book of Colossians, all right? The Colossians lived in a city called Colossae, and it once was a thriving trade city, which is in today modern Turkey. And it was a city made up of primarily Gentiles, but they had a huge, a significant Jewish population. Now, the church there, the Christians in Colossae, was pastored by one of Paul's protégés, and that was no less than Epaphras. Epaphras was one of Paul's favorite people, and he took on this church, and he was their pastor. But like all Christian churches at that time, they were not trouble-free. They had their own challenges. And in this case, the church at Colossae was challenged because there were false teachers. And these false teachers claimed many different things, like they claimed to have special knowledge from heaven. When's the last time you heard that one? All right. And they claimed to have the special knowledge, and it made them the spiritual elite, as it were, and that they should be listened to. And another thing that they demanded of the people, they said, look, if you're going to be Christians, you have to keep some of the Jewish rites and rituals. That's the only way you're going to be able to please God. And they also introduced teaching like you have to worship angels and you have to have mystical experiences. So imagine this city of young believers trying to find their way in the faith and in come these false teachers with all of these crazy teachings. And that's exactly where, what Colossae was. Now, I say all of this to you, not so that you'd be, your head would be full of knowledge, but I say this to you because it helps explain some of the terminology that Paul uses in his letter. It's not going to make sense to you. Why does he say this? Why does he say that? You know, except you understand the background. There were false teachers. Now, for us today, because of the Internet, because of social media and all of this kind of stuff, you know and I know that there is no uh, shortage of sex and cults and all kinds of things. And they get out there and they start feeding all kinds of truths, uh, false truths about Christ and the Bible. These are all counterfeits. These are substitutes. And the Bible tells us that as Christ's return draws even closer, there will be even more of this false teaching and more people believing them. So, do you want to be one of those people? I don't think so. Do we want to be those kind of people? I don't think so. We want to be people of God's word, and we want to make sure that we stay that way. So, whether it's ideas that tell us to worship ourselves, or idols, or ideologies, or some kind of false theology, the goal of the false teacher is to replace God, replace God's word, and God's son, Jesus Christ, with someone or something else. That's the, that's the clue. When they begin to put other things in front of Jesus Christ, in front of God's word, and in front of God, you know you're in trouble. You know that they're teaching something that isn't uh, uh, biblical. So at Colossae, the Colossian Christians had their hands full. And this is why Paul's letter meant so much to them. And so as we come into this, he's going to share with us his ministry and mission that God had called him to. 
And we can learn from this. We can learn to keep ourselves alert, to keep ourselves on track. No matter what the stress may be, no matter what kind of changes that we have to make, no matter what kind of sacrifices we have to make, let's stay on task. Let's stay on what God wants us to do. And so to do this, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, the first part. And Paul shares with us his ministry. This was his pattern. Paul was probably like me a little bit in the sense that I don't like too many changes. I like to do the same thing and do it over and over and over again. Uh, Those of you who have eaten with me, you know when I go to have lunch with you or dinner with you, I order the same old thing, all right? I'm just that kind of a guy. And Paul was a person like that in some ways. In his ministries, there were key things that he did over and over again. So what are those things that he did? Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, he says. What is the pattern? He uses three words. He uses the word proclaim. And the way that this is written, actually in the original language, it means that he continually and habitually claimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And this is what was really important. It was not so important that Paul taught all the deepest theologies. The first thing he wanted to do was introduce people to Jesus Christ. And he proclaimed him. For example, in his other writings, we see strong examples of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, verse 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. This is what Paul says. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That was what he did. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. As Lord in First Corinthians chapter 15, First Corinthians chapter 15, he had this to say. This is what he preached. For I delivered to you as of first importance, this is verse 3, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, he says. So make no bones about it. Did Paul teach theology? Oh, yes, he did. Much of what we know about Jesus Christ and about God comes from Paul. All right? Make no mistake. But his passion, the one thing that he focused on was proclaiming him. Proclaiming him. And that should characterize our ministry wherever it may be. And then the second thing that he says, he says, admonishing every man. Now, There's several different ideas of the word admonishing. A lot of people think of admonishing as correcting. I am admonishing you, right? How many times have you heard that one, all right? I'm admonishing you. And then that's uh, correcting. And then other people often mistake admonishing, and they they don't understand it also includes an element of warning, of warning. And then it also has an element of counseling in it, element of counseling in it. Now, I've never walked up to my children and said, I am admonishing you, 
You know, my kids would say, huh, how do you spell that? The kids wouldn't get it, okay? But the purpose is there. The purpose is, is I am warning them. I am correcting them. But I'm also counseling them, all right? And so Paul says, I do all three of these things. I do all three of these things. I warn people. I correct people. But I also counsel them in, uh, about life. And then the last thing he says, and teaching every man with all wisdom. And this is his ministry of instructing people. And notice here he says, to every man, to everyone, whether Gentile or Jew, rich or poor, male or female, educated or uneducated, sinner or saint, he would do it. He would do it. And that was the marvelous thing about Paul. He was a Jew of the highest order. He was a Pharisee. And Pharisees were notorious for being really uh, uh, discriminatory. They looked down on everybody, Jews included. (laughs) Nobody was good enough for these guys. But here he says, and he shares his heart, and he says what? He says, to every man, to every man, we should be doing this. And he says, with all wisdom, Paul wisely and skillfully taught God's truths. So what was Paul's ministry? It was a ministry of proclaiming salvation like he did in Acts 13. It was warning and correcting, such as when he warned people of the wrath and judgment of God against sin of unbelief in Acts chapter 17. Or teaching them to love God and to love, live lives pleasing to God in Ephesians chapter 4. This is when he said to them, lay aside the old self and put on the new self, he says. That should characterize our ministries here at GBC. Forget the fact that we are not on Mater Road, okay? We are here now at CHS. But what we do at CHS can be the exact same thing we do at Mater Road, maybe even at a different level. And it's fine. We need to keep up these primary ministries, such as proclaiming Christ and admonishing people and teaching them with all wisdom. That's what we ought to be focused on. Don't let the stress bother you. Don't let the inconvenience bother you. If you feel inconvenience, let me know, and I'll do my best to unconvenience you. <laughs> okay, to solve the convenience, all right? And so that you no longer would be inconvenienced, all right? So please, please keep that in mind. But what excites me is what Paul says next in Colossians chapter 1 and the latter half of verse 28 and on through uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And Paul begins to describe his mission. He describes the mi- his mission. This is what Paul saw as his purpose, as his purpose. He started off by telling us what he did, which was the proclaiming, the admonishing, and the teaching. But then he says, now this is why I do those things. What is my end result? What is it that I hope to achieve? And this is what he shares in verse, the latter part of verse 28. And he says in that particular verse, he says, Uh, I'll start with verse 28 again. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. 
Every man complete in Christ. So what does that mean? The word complete there means to be mature, to be perfect, if you will, to be mature and perfect in Christ, okay? Now, what might that involve? Of course, that would involve to uh, bring a person to the point where they are like Christ in character, Christ in character. If you look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says this, says this, uh, says this very well. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So, when you get this idea of Paul doing all of this, all of these things, the proclaiming, the, the admonishing, and the teaching, what is he trying to do? What's the end goal? The end goal is to present a perfect per, person who is perfect and mature, meaning that they are like Christ in character. But it also means that you would be Christ-like in your conduct. In other words, holy and sanctified. If you listen to the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23, he says this. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, make you holy entirely, and that and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some people don't like that kind of preaching. They don't like that kind of teaching. They feel sometimes they're being scolded. They feel like they're being judged. All right? You're not being judged by man. You're being judged by God and God's word. And what is it for? It's the purpose that we would become sanctified, that we would live holy lives, that we'd be more like Christ, to be uh, mature in Christ. But this great mission of Paul's came at a great price. It came at a great price. But Paul was up to it because we find that Paul shares with us the great power that he has working for him. Back to Colossians. Look at verse 29. It says, for this purpose, what purpose? Presenting every person complete in Christ. Also, I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Wow. So he says, for this very purpose, meaning this idea of presenting every person complete. Paul says, I labor. And that term, I labor, is quite specific. It means to the point of exhaustion. I know all of us in here labor, but do we labor to the point where you, where you are completely exhausted? That's the description that Paul gives. And then he says, he uses the word striving. He uses the word striving. This means to toil, to toil, all right? I work, I work hard, but I'm not sure I'm at the level of toiling, all right? How many of us in this room would say, I toil every day. It's really hard work, you know. How many of us can really say, we have our air-conditioned office. We have our air-conditioned, we have our supercomputers. We have all of these things. I don't think we're toiling as much. We might work hard, but we're not toiling. Paul says, I labor to the point of exhaustion. I toil at this task of trying to present people to Christ. But, but, he says, 
He does it according to his power, meaning Christ's power that mightily works in him. It's impossible to do this apart from the power that God gives us. We have too many limitations and weaknesses which can only be overcome by God's power. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, Paul said this about the power of God. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see, I'm convinced that many of us in here don't get involved with the ministry or with the work of God because we know we're not up to it. We know beforehand we're not up to it. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't. We do. You know why? Because we're looking at it like as if we do it in our own power. But it isn't. God depends on us to do his work by giving us his power to make it happen. To make it happen. And so this was how Paul could say what he said. But then Paul goes on to say again that he had a great struggle. He had a great mission, which is to present everybody complete in Christ. He had great power behind him, which was the power of Christ. But then he also shared his great struggle. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face, he says. He calls this a great struggle. It wasn't going to come easy. He had to struggle with discouragement. He had to, dis- he had to deal with differences and he had to deal with divisions. It wasn't easy to carry out this task. And one can only imagine the kinds of uh, trials and tribulations that Paul experienced. But then Paul follows up very quickly in verses 2 to 3. And I want you to notice this. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2 is that Paul shares with us what what keeps him going. It's because he knows when he presents everyone perfect in Christ, there is a great prize at the end. He knows that. What is that great prize at the end? And this is the great goals that Paul had in verses 2 and 3. He says, first of all, in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what does he say? First of all, he says, when I bring people and I do my job, I work hard, and I bring them to that point, they will be encouraged. They will have their heart. And the word encouraged there can actually mean comforted. See, false teachers were causing a lot of confusion, doubt, and discouragement. And God's promises would encourage and comfort the troubled heart. That's what he said. That's what he said. If I just get these people to that point, man, I tell you, false teachers are not. Their hearts would always be comforted. And then he says, mature believers will be connected to one another in love. 
knit together, can be translated brought together or united. They would be united in love and not divided in strife. That's what he saw. He says, you want to know why I'm so excited about this ministry of presenting people complete in Christ? It's because I know when I get them there, I know when I get them there, that their hearts would be encouraged. I know that they will be more bonded together in love. And then the last thing he says is that they will be more confident. Look at verse 2, uh, verse 3. And he says, the wealth of full assurance. And this full assurance means firm conviction or confidence that stems from them understanding. What is understanding? Understanding literally means to piece together, able to assess. I'm always on the hunt to try to say things in ways that I would understand it. And I hope you will understand it. Understanding is the ability to connect the dots. It's the ability to connect the dots. You see? And he says, that's what these people will have. They will have that ability to connect the dots. And then this, all of this will lead to a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself. So, when we put this all together, what do we find? Dr. John MacArthur summarized these verses this way in his commentary. And he says, all the truth needed for salvation, sanctification, or glorification are found in Christ, who is God revealed. All these false teachers, they kept saying they had this special knowledge from above about salvation and sanctification. A knowledge that only they, the spiritually elite, possessed. Paul was saying, "Uh uh-uh, guys, uh uh-uh. Everything that we need to know, anything that is worth knowing about salvation, about sanctification and glorification has already been revealed by Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to say to us. And so Paul worked to the point of exhaustion to present every man mature in Christ. Being complete in Christ, they would be comforted, they'd be connected, and they would be confident. All of those things happen. All of those things would happen. Now, what does that say to us? Why do churches have so many problems today? Number one, they stop trying to work to bring people to be mature in Christ. They've decided to do other things. They haven't, they've lost their focus. They've kind of lost their way. Why are we doing these things? What about bringing people to maturity in Christ? Oh, no, no, it's much better that we, we teach them these things and that things, and we get involved with this, that, and the other. And we've just lost our way. Oh, Paul says, uh-uh, come back, come back, and get back on track and start uh, teaching people and pre- uh, to help them become mature in Christ. And then all of these things will happen. All of these things will happen. I sometimes have this experience happen to me, and, and that is every once in a while I'll have people come and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? Absolutely, you can talk to me anytime. And so <clears throat> they'll come in, and, and they'll have all of these problems, and usually when people have problems, there's one or two causes, major causes. If you can identify what one or two of those major causes are, all of these other problems kind of take care of themselves. And so in the course of talking with people, I often find that the reason they're having so many difficulties is because they doubt 
their salvation. They doubt that they're really saved. They doubt that they really have a relationship with God Almighty. And so as a result, they're fearful, they're doubtful, and all of these kinds of things. And so I says, well, what am I going to say to these people? I point them back to Christ. I point them back to the cross. And I says, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness? Have you, by faith, put yourself into the hands of God? And they say, yes, I have. And I says, you have nothing to worry about then. You have nothing to worry about. Because Christ is the one who will provide all that you need to get through what you need. And their hearts are comforted. And they have genuine confidence. They have genuine confidence. Not because Pastor Arnold said it, but because God said it. And because God sealed it and affirmed it in their hearts. And so that's what can happen. Paul's mission was to produce spiritually mature Christ-like believers and his uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Christ-like believers. And so this was, should be the goal of our, our ministry as well. Now, stress or no stress, we need to stay focused on our ministry and mission for God. As it was back then in Paul's times, our ministries at GBC should follow Paul's model of focusing on proclaiming, admonishing, and reaching uh, teaching the truths of God. That's what we got to do. Okay? There's nothing super here. There's no something else. Wow, let's go out and spend a billion dollars. Let's advertise our church on television. Let's get on the radio. Let's do this and let's do that. And all of these kinds of things. You can, but that would be a whole lot of resources put into that. What we need to do is get back to the basics and begin to proclaim Jesus Christ. One of the burdens of my heart, one of the burdens of my heart that God's laid on my heart is the fact that we, I believe, at GBC have given up proclaiming Christ. We don't proclaim Christ anymore. People have shouted us down. People have rejected Christ so much that we no longer even bring Christ up. We don't even bring Christ up anymore. We don't want to be shot down. We don't want to be discriminated. We don't want to be shut down and shut out from everything that's going on in the office. And so we tell ourselves, no need, no need. Just play it cool. Be one of the guys. Be one of the gals. And that's all we have to do. But no, we've got to get back to proclaiming Christ. The fact that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again from the grave and proving to us that eternal life is possible. You see? Got to get back to that. Got to get back to that. We got to get back to admonishing people. And I mean it in the good sense. We got to get back to being open to correcting and warning people and counseling them, to be involved in their lives. How many of us, don't raise your hands, okay, but how many of us in this room have said to ourselves, that person could really use some encouragement? That person could really use some, a good piece of advice, and I have something good that they ought to know. But you hold back. I don't want to get involved. I really don't want to get involved. I was doing some thinking about the church. And I said to myself, you know, ever since I came to GBC, I've been burdened to try and figure out what is missing at GBC. What is missing at GBC? I mean, we had the facility on Mata Road. We had, you know, we had people coming 
You know, and for all intents and purposes, our giving has been good. And we're not under the usual stresses that churches have. But there's something missing. And then God revealed to me, while GBC has a strong history of Bible teaching, and God's people at GBC, they know their Bible. They know their theology. And all of those things, there's very few things that I can say that they have not already heard or they don't already know. You know what's missing at GBC? Is joy. Is joy. Bold faith, unadulterated joy. I wish that, you know, we could take a camera and film you people out there. Okay? And I'll bet you in the course of 40 minutes worth of preaching or whatever, how many of you would be able to sustain a joyful spirit? You know, from my point of view, you guys look pretty sad. Not that you're not beautiful or handsome or anything like that, but you're just sad. You know, you kind of slouch in your chair. You kind of just... Now, I don't know if it's because you wish this was over so you can get out of here. Maybe it's a little bit of everything. But somehow, the spirit of joy has been sucked right out of this church. And we somehow don't have that. And I'm renewing myself, so to speak, that in my admonishing ministry at GBC, my counseling ministry, I will really try my best to restore a spirit of joy in our church. We are so serious, I think we would even scare God. You know? If God saw us come through the gates of heaven, he would say, oh no, one of those. I want to avoid that one. You see? We don't have that spirit of joy and peace the fruit of the Spirit that's in us. And that can be done with a spirit and a ministry of encouragement and of admonishing. And then we would have confidence. I can't, I don't have time to develop that one too much, but I would say that many of us, as we walk a Christian life, if I asked how many of you are confident that God is going to see us through this building program, how many of you could honestly say, I believe that God led us this far and he's going to lead us all the way? You see? Now that reflects on our maturity in Christ. It does. Because a mature believer in Christ would say, with everything that I have seen, when I have seen all the work that God has done and all the doors he has opened, and all the things he has provided. I have confidence that God will see us all the way through. All the way through. So, ministry back then in Paul's time serves as a pattern for ministry now. Ministry back then in Paul's time gives us the purpose for ministry now. To present everyone complete in Christ. I would ask you, I would ask you, I was debating, I was wrestling with God over this. And you would say, oh, what kind of pastor is that? He wrestles with God, you know. 
But you know, because that sinful part of me says, don't do it. Don't do it. It's too much to ask. The people aren't ready for it. The people will be mad. They won't come back next week. You know, all of these kinds of things. But I'm going to ask us and challenge us that by faith, let's covenant and commit to God ourselves and our ministries to do God's work, God's way, for God's glory. Got a problem with that? Got a problem with that? I hope not. I hope not. And I hope that today will be just the first day of many great days when we will continue to see God's hand at work in GBC. That we will have that joyful spirit. We will have that witnessing spirit. We will have that confidence that overcomes because we are being presented to Christ complete. Now, we've been ending our services with a time of prayer. And this isn't one of those things, bow your heads, think about it for a few seconds, and then get up and get out of here and start eating. Okay? It's not one of those kind of things. But we've actually asked everybody to take a moment to pray. To either pray by yourself or pray with a few people around you. And I will ask you to pray for a few things. One of them is that God would put in your heart that desire and that boldness and that courage to share Jesus Christ, to proclaim Jesus Christ. And the second thing, the second thing I would ask you to do is that you would pray that God would give GBC that spirit of joy that has somehow been stolen from us. Could you pray for those two things? I'll give you a a minute and a half to do it. No, I'll give you two minutes because there's no other service coming in after us. All right? I'll give you two minutes and then I'll close the service. Please pray.
Father in heaven, for some of us, this has been two minutes more than we have been able to pray all week. For some of us, Lord, it has been a great challenge to sit before you and to pour our heart out. But Father, you have heard our prayers. We're not asking for fame. We're not asking for fortune. But we're asking, Lord, for faith. We're asking, Lord, that today you would do a mighty work in us. And that, Father, you would help all of us to renew our commitment to you, to, Father, to carry on the work of the ministry. Help us, Father, to overcome the stress and the little inconveniences. Help us, Father, to see the big picture, to see that there are souls that, are, that need you as their Savior. Father, speak to us, we pray. And more than speak to us, may your power overtake us. May it overwhelm us. May it control us. And Father, may it take us to places that we have long ago forgotten about. Where, Father, we proclaim you. Where we admonish one another. That, Father, where we leave a place with great teaching and understanding under our belt. Oh, Father, we plead for these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.